Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com, a CBS sports podcast. I am Mike Casaza, welcoming in Chris Anderson at the end of the 2022 regular season, Chris. Um, if we learn nothing else in the past, I don't know, a couple of days, a couple of weeks, this is quite an irregular beat that we're on, is it not? It absolutely is. Um I think West Virginia winning this game, the game with post game Oklahoma State. I am not shocked that they won this game. Like just watching that game, West Virginia looked like the better team. But just in general, you're just like, yeah, that sounds about right. You end Oklahoma State's winning streak. You beat Oklahoma for for the first time since joining the league. You beat Virginia Tech, who you thought was going to be a, a tough one, by three touchdowns. You beat the defending Big 12 champions. And you're not bowl eligible, but maybe you are. I just, I'm here for all of it, Mike. So before we sign off here, we will touch on the bowl eligibility question and maybe have some answers. Yeah. There's a way to wrap this up pretty quickly here, maybe by the time we're finished, but maybe not too have questions out to West Virginia. Frankly, I'm not sure a lot of people realized how close this was to being a reality. It's not close, but it's not unreasonable. And I raised my hand. I hadn't paid it much attention until I started looking at it during the game. And then things started to crumble a little bit beneath the idea that it couldn't possibly happen. And then, of course, we have the Neil Brown situation. We can discuss a lot of the reportage from the ESPN broadcast of the game. Mountain Molehill, I don't know, but there's a lot happening to be frank with you, including today, the score, the win, all that stuff, I'm not sure a whole lot has changed, especially when it comes to the fundamentals of the situation. We can get into all that. I think it would be a disservice, though, to start with that because, one, we've talked about these things for quite some time when it comes to athletic director, head coach, futures. And also, we didn't even know about the bowl thing until like an hour ago. <laughs> so let's not do that. Let's start with the football team because this season was over in some regard, whether officially or in perception a few weeks back and I don't know Chris progress in some regard you can see I don't know if you want to grant kudos for all that stuff by playing younger players by experimenting a little bit by maybe loosening up that top button where a lot of people had called for that for quite some time at the very least though a couple of wins at the end that just don't happen Oklahoma Oklahoma State when there wasn't much to play for in, in especially in this game here. And again, it would have been easy to just say eh, enough's enough. I'm on for my own thing, but we did mention this Tuesday. I thought it was a good point that you made. Maybe it was Saturday last week that if Brown does pull this together and gets this win and ends a long winning streak at home for Oklahoma state ends West Virginia's long losing streak to the program at the end of what we thought was a sunk season. That's a good thing for him. And if that's the bookend for him, Hey, that's a pretty good consolation prize. I don't. We don't know what the dynamics are for what happens next. Again, we can cover that. But I don't think that that sentiment has changed at all. At the end of the season, whether it's his fourth season and his last season, who knows? It's pretty good work by a guy who has had good signs in November's in the past. Unfortunately for him, September, October haven't gone perfectly, and those November accomplishments have been necessary to keep things out of the fire. He does have a knack for this. I don't think he can take away what he and his staff and his players, young and old, accomplished today. Absolutely not. I think I, I think the way I phrased it was if if they end up beating Oklahoma State this weekend, you take 
this Oklahoma game and the Oklahoma State game, and you put that at the top of your resume uh, if you're looking for a new job after this because we, I mean, we talked business decisions, right, Mike? Like mm-hmm. guys making business decisions, not taking hits, not making plays, not maybe not even playing. And when Neil Brown made that comment to Hertz on Tuesday about, you know, he didn't know of anybody not playing or more, you know, kind of alluding to, I thought, oh man, there's going to be three or four more guys who are legit like starters or major contributors that are sitting out this game because they know they're going to transfer. They don't want to get hurt. They don't want to go play in 47 degrees. I don't think we can hammer home the fact that this was 47 degrees Absolute downpour, windy as heck, out in the middle of Stillwater, a long drive on a holiday week. You don't get to see your family at the end of a now five and seven season. And those dudes played like they were, you know, fighting for a Big 12 championship spot. And no one sat out. There was no one else that sat out that was planning on transferring. Um, You know, there might still be guys that transfer, but the fact that they stayed, stuck it out and fought the way they did. For this coaching staff, that shows that they, you know, kind of believe in the coaches. They they have some pride for themselves and or the coaches did a nice job of, you know, kind of pushing them to finish the season strong. And, and that says something about their coaching ability and or their relationships with the players. Yeah. Uh, again, that's hard, especially especially if you're looking at the guy who's in the front of the room and you're saying this guy got me in this situation. He's going to get me out of it. Or this guy who got me in the situation might not be here on Monday. It's hard to do it. And not only that, it's hard to listen to that message. It's hard to give that message with conviction. And it worked throughout this game, too. West Virginia had some signs where same old West Virginia, some penalties, a turnover, just some misgivings where you think, oh, yeah, I mean, that's that's why the record is what the record is. And that's why the stakes are what they are right now. But they had quite a foil today in Oklahoma State, the team that is, is kind of broken. I think we've used that word before. I think it's very accurate. Injuries, kind of inefficient. I would say maybe inefficient is even the right word. Just not good units that that have to be good and that have been good for them in the past. Most notably, their offensive line um, didn't have a quarterback today who could make plays. Running game did get going. That was kind of surprising, but certainly right to the very finish, just some some quizzical stuff from a team that's usually very well coached, very tightly laced, and it just didn't happen today. West Virginia takes advantage. A really big third quarter. Some great plays by Jalen Anderson, who. Hey, Chris, I got one right. I wrote about a player who played pretty well. <laughs> Had to happen. So I end on a high note, too. But just during the week, you could not avoid um, the the thoughts that Graham Harrell had about Jalen Anderson. And if you haven't seen it, go check out his press conference on the YouTube page for Earsports. The final couple of minutes, he just kind of waxes about Jalen Anderson, about how good of a player he can be. Uh, it turns out if you give him the ball a bunch, he's pretty capable. And and he ran patiently and fast and hard today and was a difference. And just, it seemed to me those two long touchdown runs were huge burden breakers for West Virginia and really made Oklahoma state realize it was not going to be easy that West Virginia was not going to pack it up. And that, uh Oh, we're actually down by 11 points right now. And, you know, they did get back into it, had a chance to tie it, but man, West Virginia wins with essentially quarterback number three. And I mean, this is no disrespect to Nico Marchio, but he didn't really do anything to affect the game. They ran the ball, they hit some home runs, and they played pretty good defense down the stretch. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Nico was, he was whatever, man. I mean, again, 47, absolute downpour. 
and you, you kind of had the lead. I mean, I think it was he he came in, and then a couple of plays later was the Jalen Anderson first fifty four yard touchdown run, which gave West Virginia the lead, and he played with the lead from there on out. So they're not exactly asking him to do a bunch, but you kind of saw it from both. He, he kind of has that same it factor that Green had. He has that ability to kind of play tough. He he can run. He was making some plays with his feet, and he didn't seem to be phased by you know if he made a bad play and so that's about all I could take away from his play but again that says more about West Virginia as a whole than it does anything because the Mountaineers threw the ball 77 yards today 77 yards and they were on their third string quarterback their third string running back fourth string right fourth string running back uh with Donaldson also being out um and what third string tight end you know, all around and you got guys coming in all on an already kind of light depth chart all the way around uh still running out uh malachi ruffin at cornerback who again we'll talk about some more in a little bit uh he's back there andrew wilson lamp and Jac- jacoby spells like those right. are your other cornerbacks you just it's like yeah they, they should probably get destroyed and they they didn't they, they just fought through it and fought through it and and won this game and it, it speaks more to this team as a whole and, and that defense too about God, I mean, three fourths of the way through this year, this defense was, was horrendous. I mean, maybe halfway through the season, it was horrendous and, and they've really played well towards the end of the year, winning football. Just throw out a couple of game balls here. That's the best I've ever seen Linnell Carr play. Yeah. Like I don't even think that's a bold statement, but like he was noticeable. And without Jared Bartlett out there today, he played a lot too, but he was noticeable. Um, Lee Koba all over the field, sideline to sideline, and, and made some plays. I think what will probably get overlooked, he makes a play on a screen pass late in the game that I'm not sure they score on it. They probably get the first down, and they end up kicking a field goal, I believe. But he was all over the place making plays, but he makes that play on a screen pass. Where I, he's definitely blocked by one, maybe two people, and he still makes a play by just getting you know an arm or a leg out to make a play. Um, Ruffin, um, Ruffin submits an all-time blooper, just an all-time blooper by wrapping up a guy, pulling the ball out, but not getting the ball out, letting the guy run away, and then signaling incomplete. And it goes for like a 35-yard gain. I forget the number, but it was pretty embarrassing. Um, they targeted him twice on the final possession. I, I was I was kind of upset. I, mean, I have no dog in the fight here, but like they called a pass interference on him on one. I was like, that's not pass interference. And then they pick up the flag, and it makes a great play on the next one. They go right back at him, but he survives twice in a row, and, and that's a hard thing for a corner to do, to run twice like that and, and survive both plays, but he did. That's been a guy who's been targeted, picked on, picked apart a couple of times this year, but, you know, come a long way maybe from where he was when he started the Kansas game and, and just had a terrible time against some option stuff and some some things that can stir fry cornerbacks if you're not careful, but he was good today. Um, just, you know, spots that had been weak were good. And then, again, Jasir Cox. I don't know why he wasn't a spear early in the season, but he's played really well since he moved back there. He was there at the start. Remember, they moved him. Uh, he played Will back at Spear, played a lot the last couple of games. He was effective today, too. Really good play on a two-point conversion where he just doesn't let the quarter, excuse me, doesn't let the running back kind of go north out of the backfield on a two-point play that's supposed to trick a guy like Cox, but he didn't let it happen. You haven't said this too much, Chris, but you could spend a lot of time. I just have kind of handing out stickers for players on defense. Yeah, definitely. The the way that that Ruffin bounced back after that that boneheaded play kind of w- was remarkable. Honestly, like you said, 
in coverage on two deep passes to a guy that's bigger than him. That and and the same guy, by the way, who made that play on him earlier, the same one that that broke free on that and ended up being a forty three yard game. You got about thirty some of those yards. That thirty five yards you referenced, that might have been after, uh, you know, Ruffin was celebrating because uh, that was that was a big one. Um, and he also had another play, and I I laughed even harder at this one than I did at the. Uh, early celebration penalty or not penalty, but the early celebration that ended up in a 43 yard game because there's a guy who had inside leverage on him on a slant or a post route for a touchdown. It was a decent throw and Ruffin timed it met at the top of the jump and knocked it away to save a touchdown. And he didn't even crack a smile. Didn't yeah. even crack a smile. Uh, he got a little more emotion on, in the, in the, fourth quarter on those final couple of plays where he broke up passes. So that was good to see, but I did get a, a good laugh out of him kind of overcorrecting and turning into a stoic face at corner. Uh, once he started making plays again. Don't cry for Oklahoma state. West Virginia played with backup running backs, backup quarterbacks, um, kind of a soft secondary and they made it work. And again, same conditions they played in, they had turnovers they had opportunities to go for it on four down. It came up short. Like they had a lot of the same problems that Oklahoma State did today, but they ended up with the win. Um, again, not a lot to uh, to apologize for. I think at the end, when you're just trying to grab wins and save face, um, how many and how those are always kind of funny things in college sports and maybe just in sports in particular. How many wins, but how you get the win? <laughs> Who cares at this point, right? Like it's it's fine and a little bit of gut. It wasn't the most stylistic thing, but I think if you look for what the team isn't capable of. Yeah, they can't go back and forth and win like 48 to 42 games. They're not equipped to make up big deficits. They can't do this. They can't do this. You would think that maybe they can't do this at the end of a season too, but they just, they are the right approach for the right opponent today and shouldn't apologize for that. Shouldn't complain about that. Um, Turn the page if you're all right, Chris. Mm -hmm. Stuck bowls. But Mike, they're five and seven. How do they get in? It's a long shot. Like, there's a lot of acreage between West Virginia and a bowl bid. The funny thing is, the pack can come back to West Virginia pretty quickly here, and it's not unreasonable. A couple of things have already happened that made us kind of like lean forward in our chairs and spend some time looking at this and going, wait a minute, what? And then actually, like I said, ask West Virginia a question about this to make sure that they have some sort of a response or plan ready in the event that they're on the line. And they may not. We'll see. A lot could change by the time you hear this if you listen to this later than Saturday afternoon. But, Chris, it's a conversation we can have. Yeah, it is. And and you, have, you and I have had it. Like you said, you reached out to WVU. Oh, I've had it. Yeah. And uh, I've been sitting there. I got spreadsheets, APR scores, all sorts of stuff. And it really came down to, I mean, again, if you're listening to this like Saturday night, this might all be pointless. It might be over. But as of the moment that the West Virginia game ended, it basically comes down to 10 games that are being played Saturday afternoon and Saturday night. And if those 10 games, the team, the, the teams that West Virginia needs to lose go one in nine or zero oh and 10. Again, you think, wow, wow. You got to get nine out of 10, right? Or all 10 of them, right? That's a lot. Well, the thing is, most of these teams are going to be double-digit underdogs in their games. Uh, some of these teams are already losing in their games. Uh, for instance, as we're speaking, Iowa State is one of those teams that has to lose. They're losing 24-0. So there's one. 
uh, and, and you kind of go down the list and some of these other teams are, are similar to that. It's going to take a lot. It, it, it really just comes down to five and seven teams and their APR scores because there will be five and seven teams that are playing in a bowl. I think that's a given at this point. Um, and West Virginia has a okay APR score, top half. I think they're tied for like 50-something. Um, and that's helpful. There are a lot of teams that were eliminated from this conversation that I was having because they're five and seven, but have a worse APR score than West Virginia. So academics could come into play in these situations. Um, again, long shot might get there, maybe. And then I guess the next question, the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixteenth step that has to happen here is if they do make it, does WVU accept it? Hmm. Or do they want to go to a bowl at five and seven? Uncertainty around the roster, uncertainty around the coaching staff. We await the answer. <laughs> um, one reason that this is so interesting is the APR. And I'm always kind of like amused by the fact that coaches have that put in their contract. Like if their APR number is above something, it's this much money. And if it's above a little bit higher number, it's worth that much money. Well, now it all makes sense. It's always about the money, always. But those APR bonuses, they're kind of like, um, I don't know, just feel like they're easy money sometimes because as long as you have a, a pretty good academic support program like West Virginia has, has had for quite some time, really good graduation numbers, really good team GPA numbers. Brown has been way above the watermarks here um, for as long as he's been the coach. Sometimes it does pay off and it takes care of itself too. So trouble is that sometimes when players transfer as often as they do, that they're not eligible or, or they leave in a questionable situation. That can hurt you. They kind of shore that up a couple of years ago by changing the APR thing because it, it shouldn't necessarily hurt a school if a player's a knucklehead and isn't retained and he t- decides to transfer because the transfer phenomenon was was so out of control. You had to change the APR. So it could be a lot worse for West Virginia, like retaining players for a second semester. That's an unreasonable expectation now because so many players transfer, but their numbers have gone up and they've been pretty solid for a while. And wouldn't that be something if it does add up here too? Hey, I wanted to get to something at the um at the end of the game, by the way. I, I've kind of turned the corner on Mike Gundy. Like I always thought that he always like lost one game. That he had no control over or no explanation for losing. And it always seemed to happen at home, but probably pretty good coach when you look at the way he does stuff. And what's remarkable about his success is that there are thumbprints for his stuff. Like for example, 81 straight wins when the other team scores fewer than 20 points. That's the longest streak in the FBS. So felt like it was important to get to 20 points quickly today. West Virginia got their first third quarter, 21, 10, um, that was enough because their offense was kind of limited. I understand that there are explanations for that too, but he knows his teams. He probably could have put his kid in to play quarterback today and didn't, uh, despite the struggle of his quarterback. It's nevertheless remarkable to me that they have a ball twice with a chance to win the game. When the game, like I, I just thought from start to finish with few exceptions, especially early, that West Virginia was the better team. and had the better chance to win the game. Like there was a point I was like, I don't know how, Oklahoma State's going to block to protect the passer or to get the run going. And they got the run going, so hey, good for them. Um, almost everything to the right because the left side of that offensive line is as advertised, Chris. You nailed that one. But what did it say about Oklahoma State and maybe West Virginia to get in a position where it had the ball twice late with a chance to win it? Um, and then you're just wondering, man, does that deep pass from Nico to Bryce Ford Wheaton that keeps the third time out on the board? For Oklahoma State, does that come back to haunt West Virginia? Um, I don't have a problem with that. Ultimately, that doesn't matter. But one timeout, ball around midfield because 
you almost have the ultimate folly of the season when Oliver Straw can't handle the snap um, and ends up punting the ball about 35 yards to the 50. But it, it just seemed like to me it shouldn't have been a game at the end of the game, and, and yet it was. And ultimately, throw a deep, throw a deep drop a pass, check down to the running back on fourth down. Uh, it, it just seemed like a strange ending, and maybe that's fitting, I guess. Yeah, uh, kudos to Ollie Straw there for that play, by the way. And I think really that's a that the reason it didn't get recovered or blocked or whatever was a kind of a, a testament to the rest of the game and the way he was punting and the way his team was blocking, his guys were blocking prior to that. Because it it kind of got to the point of he was punting so well and the rest of the the punt blo- or you know the punting team was blocking so well that Oklahoma State didn't push it. I mean, I don't think you really want to be pushing for a punt block in that situation anyway, but why keep pushing? If you don't see an opportunity, you kind of back off a little bit. And I think West Virginia had done such a good job of punting the ball and giving him protection that Oklahoma State didn't push it. I mean, he he lost the ball, kind of fumbled it around a little bit, went to go grab it, picked it up, and there was still only one guy from Oklahoma State even in the backfield. And, And so, or maybe two, but they weren't on him. He had all that time in the world to grab that and kick it. So that, that's just a testament to good, solid special teams throughout the game, as well as a nice play right there. Ooh, my bad. Uh, I wonder how many times he's been in that situation. Not live in a game, for sure. So for him not to panic and to get you know, something on that was, was probably a, a nervy moment for him, but good. But think about the time that West Virginia chased a punt and got a roughing penalty. Um it's that small of a margin there too. So listen, there's a lot of what is for West Virginia, which leads to this, Chris um, did not have the sound off today. as I typically do when I watch these games. Um, evidently Neil Brown's job is in question. I took a note on that. Um, repeatedly pointed out to us. Um, I have not caught this report where they say that he's coming back. From what I understand, it's a paragraph and a story about the coaching carousel um, I have my suspicions about how those things get reported. That's fine. Everybody has their own sourcing. But the likelihood that Brown is back next season is up for discussion. So let's have that discussion. Mm-hmm. Where, how do we begin? <sighs> exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of places. It's just, I don't know where to begin because there are so many angles to this. There are so many discussions about it. Uh, we've, we've talked about it on here about the timing of everything. And again, I, I, I don't want to keep bringing this up, but there was a podcast we did three, four weeks ago where I kind of vented toward the end of, end of the podcast, which then prompted some people to ask me about it on the board and some others to get upset um, about what they were listening to and the answers that we were giving on here and on the board about the whole situation, just saying it was, you know, the timeline was off and the indecision had caused issues. It's not that, you know, again, fire Neil Brown or don't fire Neil Brown. That that's not the problem. It's the decision, no decision, indecision, not sure what to do. And now you put yourself in a time crunch where you're going to put a lot of people in an uncomfortable situation. You are going to put an athletic director, whoever it is you bring in, into an uncomfortable situation or have him make decisions that he may not may or may not want to make. And it, it's going to be weird. It's going to be tough no matter what now. Cause again, this is the other part of it. 
is there are so many people who, because of what has gone on and the way it's gone on, are assuming he's gone and it's done and it should be over and it was never a question in their mind. And now it's a question. And then that's just going to upset people even more. And I don't think that, that again, it, it's another situation that it's not fair to Neil Brown. This is not his fault. And, and the administration has kind of put him in this position and it's, it's going to get very one way or another. I think it's going to be, I don't want to say hostile, but emotions are going to be high in the next 72 to 96 hours. There's a school of thought that says you have to cater to your fans and your donors, no matter what. There is another school of thought that also gives out degrees where you don't care. And you don't completely ignore it. I understand that, but you cannot be adversely influenced by that, especially when it's emotional. And fans sometimes are not as capable of seeing the big picture. They don't have all the information and experience as administrators do, or as people who have information and content, intel, whatever you want to call it from the industry, from other sources that inform your decisions that you make. So are they in a silo on this? Probably should be. Maybe you poke your head out every so often, but really be isolated on this and try to figure out what's best for you. Now, the problem with this, though, is that when you do make a decision to move on from an athletic director, you have really prioritized the cart and the horse. We've been over that. When you do not make a decision on your football coach, you allow for funhouse mirrors. And that means that you can see something that is not realistic. And what looks like what's expected around one corner can look very different around the next corner, but it's still the same person walking down those hallways. So you really have to be careful like that because when you allow it to go on longer, you create new variables and you create new potential for emotions, positive or negative. And when that door is left open, those ghosts can sneak in all the time and they can really spook your decisions and your thought process and your best laid plans. Have they done that here? We'll see. We don't know. Um, Here's my advice. Um, And it's not just coming off the top of my head. Nothing is going to happen before the athletic director is hired. You just cannot do that. You cannot say, Neil Brown, you're good. You're coming back for year five. And you can't say, Neil Brown, you're fired um, as per orders of the interim athletic director. I just don't think that's going to happen, especially now after a win. You hire the athletic director and all of our intel and our reporting, which has been the case for a while, says that West Virginia will get that done within that three to four week window. I would not be surprised if that is done here in the next couple of days. We've laid out our names and the cases for them. Nothing has changed to that end for me. Um, I think that Brown has a chance to survive this. I do. Not because he won Saturday. Does that help? Maybe. But again, that's that's kind of the funhouse mirror effect I was talking about. I do think there's a chance where an athletic director comes in and has a whole bunch of folders put in front of them that have different scenarios. It could be coaching candidates. It could be Neil Brown is one of them. But he might have to make changes to his staff and he might have to, one, agree to it and two, come up with really good names that would authenticate the decision to let him stay another year. I do not think that's out of the question. But until you know who the athletic director is and then that person is on the ground and huddles with the people who, as you pointed out, Chris, they've been keeping tabs. They've been doing inventory on the program for quite some time now. You get that information. You talk to players. You talk to people in the MAC. You talk to donors. You try to figure out as much as you can about the program, and they're your head coach as well, and then you go from there. But to say that a decision is is one way or the other made, I think is is pretty ambitious right now, and I wouldn't say that Saturday 
makes it more likely to keep him. Again, just because he beat a team that finished a 7-5 and fell apart at the end of the season doesn't change all the frustrations or aggravations that you or the program has had the past couple of years. It was what? Sorry, it was it was three weeks ago that they were three and six. And we asked the question, we said the same, you know, if they win the last three games to get bowl eligible, so what? Like it does not change the overall picture um, in that situation. So I don't think I'm with you. I don't think this the fact that this was a win should not change anything. If they had lost, if they lost by 30 today, I don't think it should have changed anything. Um, The the result of this week's game should not have, should not go into the decision. And I'm with you. You can't, you can't make decisions without an athletic director. That that is, it's like almost like a car rule. Number one of having an athletic director or hiring an athletic director is letting them make these choices. Because if you don't, it's, it's going to end badly. I'm trying to remember a time where it didn't end badly. And uh, just picturing in my head, hey, you, you know, we already told him he's sticking around and he's got his staff. But come on over here to like what athletic director wants that? Like, let, let the athletic director make that choice. So I'm with you. He's going to get some options and he'll make that choice. And one of them and I brought this up earlier and and, and I, I interesting. You had an interesting response and I, I'd, I'd love to discuss it about the price tag. Because I think before I had said, you know, hearing money's not the biggest issue here, the the buyout part. But the problem is not the problem, but the other angle is it's not just the money you're paying for the buyout, but then the new coach. Because if you're firing Neil Brown, you are saying, I want, you know, this type of coach, a, a different type of coach, a more known coach, a bigger coach, whatever it is you're you're trying to say here. Because I don't think firing Neil Brown and then hiring another up and comer from the group of five is going to be the move. And so then you're talking, you want a known coach, whatever that is, that known coach is going to get paid more than Neil Brown, which means you're paying 4 million to Neil Brown to go away and 5 million for a new coach. So you're paying 9 million for a coach basically is, is your coaching salary, your head coach salary, which is again about Nick Saban money is West Virginia going to do that. Your rebuttal, sir. You're you're right and you're wrong. I don't want to say you're wrong, like haha, you're wrong. But like you're right to look at it that way. You're spending money on top of other money, but don't forget that they commit to spend money for a head coach. So they're already spending some of that money. Like Mm -hmm. that's that's penciled in all the time. So imagine a budget. You do have to go a little bit above it because you're hiring a second head coach for sure. Um, So yes and no. You're not paying. you're not paying $9 million for a football coach. It, it's, it's hard to explain. This is kind of the way administrators think about this stuff, too. The Brown money, yeah, if he's gone and he, he agrees to make his money you know, bi-monthly for the next four years, that's going to be $4 million per year. But you'd already budget that you're paying him that much. So now you got to pay a little bit above it. And sure, you're going to pay four, five, six million for your next coach, but hey, that's, that's less than some people are making. <laughs> so is that an ideal thing? No, it's not, but that's just the way they're going to do stuff. Um, I don't, th- I don't think that's going to be prohibitive to them. We'll see what happens. Um, yes, it's a good point. You're committing a lot of money to it, but you're already planning on committing money to it. You're just committing more to it. Now it's not like you're blowing it all up and um, you're not starting a program from scratch, so to speak, and having money that you've never had to commit to resources for and luxuries for football before too. So that'll be an issue. Um, the other thing is too, don't panic on the AD thing because Hugh freeze and Matt rule are gone. Just because you didn't have an AD, honestly, if you think that they they 
wanted to talk to those guys and didn't because they don't have an AD, just read up a little bit and how these things go. If West Virginia wanted to have conversation with them, hey, we're going to hire so-and-so to be the AD, or hey, we're thinking about these two people, stick with us. That stuff probably happens in some regard, especially a guy like Matt Rule who hasn't been tethered to a program for a while. You can do that. Um, Certainly peers like Hugh Freeze have been playing for Hugh Freeze for a while too, so you can have those conversations. Uh, Just because they don't have an AD doesn't mean they didn't entertain those things, and I haven't talked to anybody who thought that, I mean, anybody who thought that one of those two was a realistic op, like uh, option for them. Matt Rule be great. There's some connections and some geography and the Big 12, obviously, that makes it make sense. But the guy just took the Nebraska job, which is a pretty good position. And then Freeze, I don't want to tell you there, just never heard his name here. So were they going to commit eight years and $72 million to a head coach? I don't know that. But I don't know if that's the expectation for West Virginia either. So it's not like they went from paying $4 million to $15 million. Probably somewhere in the middle when they do that. That's going to be interesting. But um, there's so much mythology, and then people are going to get huffing and puffing about that stuff. It's really hard to keep tabs on what happens and what every action or inaction means and how it reflects on West Virginia, which is kind of unfair. Um, you know, judge them on their plan when they actually have the plan and the pieces on the table here. But without that AD, you don't really have any answers yet. So why even try to, to keep wrapping questions around this problem? Yeah, this is this is this is gonna be a lot, Mike. I don't I don't know what's gonna happen in the next seventy two hours, but I just feel like it's gonna get weird. I, I, do you get the sense that? And this might help me. Might help me. I don't. I'm not gonna make predictions, but might help me kind of get my my bearings about me here. Do you feel there is a definite plan in place and that West Virginia is currently sticking to or on that plan on yes. that path. Yeah. Okay. It's to get okay. an athletic director. That's why they were so definitive about three to four weeks. Listen, they can muck that up and it could be the middle of December before they have an athletic director, in which case Neil Brown's your coach in 23. I don't think that's a reach either. Right. But mm-hmm. they're, they're onto it. We've been reporting this. They're, they're deep down the road on their athletic director decision here. I, I, I really think it's going to be before the end of this week and probably before the second half of the week, just on the timeline that I've heard from a lot of people, because they want this done soon so they can move. And as you've explained, as, as they've hinted at, the, the deadlines and the start dates for college football are really, really, really important. You're not, you're not in the middle of them yet. You're not near the end of them yet. You're close to the starting line. So you got to go soon. So I think that that's step one. Again, the other part has to be of reciprocal interest. So the person has to say yes. You can ask people to prom all you want. They don't say yes. You don't have a date. So I think that they've been courting the right people and they're going to make a move on one or the other soon and go from there. Um, Things to watch out for. If there's nothing by Thursday or Friday next week, then they have probably hit a roadblock somewhere. If West Virginia fires assistant coaches Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, that's a clue. That's a clue because why would you be firing guys that weren't coming back part of a coaching change too? Now, the other reality here is there are two assistant coaches out of 10 who have expiring contracts. They might not be back just because they might not be brought back. There's eight that have existing contracts. If one of those eight gets fired, that'll be really interesting because who's making that decision? The athletic director who's not here, the head coach who might not be here. So sometimes the answers are there for you up to and including we're going to hire an athletic director in three to four weeks. Why? Because you've got to have everything situated, everyone lined up properly to hit the offseason on time. And I think that they're still on track for that. Ultimately, 
they have the answer. We have the questions. Let's see what the answer is from them first. But my indications from everybody I've talked to is that they have a plan and they're just right at where they want to be right now. They weren't going to get anything done before the end of the season. They said that at the very beginning when they had the news conference that introduced Rob Alsop as the interim, nothing has changed here. And they progressed behind the scenes toward a hire that I do believe will be sooner than later. I'll make this quick because this is my last point. And it goes, it, I, it stands true regardless of who the head coach is, whether it's Neil Brown or it's somebody new. A decision definitively on at least the coaching spot. And again, I don't think you can make a one on the coaching spot until you make one on the athletic director. So decision needs to happen by the end of next week. Because if you don't, if you want to make a change and you don't make a change until after the transfer portal window has opened or has been open, or if you want to keep Neil Brown and you don't do it until after the transfer portal is open and guys have already started leaving because they think he's gone, you have now put whoever your coach is behind the eight ball in a big, big way in 2023 and struggles that happened to the program that season. I, I mean, some of them, of course, are going to be on the coach, but some of them are going to be on the administration again. Uh, you know, And so you you have to make a decision before the end of this week. I, and I'm with you that if they hit a roadblock and it just kind of pushes the athletic director decision down the road, you hit a roadblock. You don't want to make the wrong hire, but it's one of those, you know, don't compound your first uh, mistake with a second mistake and so on. But decisions have to be made within the next week. If you want to have a successful 2023, you might call them business decisions. Chris. Yes. Yes. The other, uh, the other definition there. Hey, it's going to be busy. Great time to keep up to up to speed on everything. 75% off for a little bit longer here on the mm-hmm. VIP subscription. Um, apparently, people are really eating that up, so that's good. I wonder why. Maybe there's like a whole bunch of crazy stuff happening here. Keep your wits about you. Uh, just be careful. Be careful out there. That's, all, that's my best advice for things like this. This is a uh, topsy-turvy time, and West Virginia added a wrinkle with a win Saturday. Also, don't let the... <laughs> Don't let the extracurriculars kind of take away from, again, what's a, a needed result on the field. People should feel good about that. Chris, what's coming up in the next couple of days here that you can uh, actually report right now? Yeah. Uh, recruiting stuff. We'll have some recruiting news. Obviously, Transfer Portal opening up a week from Monday. Uh, so it won't open up next week, but I think you'll start to see some stuff leak out about decisions. You know, that that, that Monday date, December 5th, that's just the official date. That's when it's officially in the portal. But decisions i think are going to come before that uh, i know neil brown said he's going to start talking to guys next week so watch out for that look for those kind of updates look for updates on recruiting things guys taking visits guys planning official visits uh, you know i still have one guy that i wrote about on the board for our vip members that is still planning to be for an official visit at west virginia with neil brown and this coaching staff next friday so keep an eye on things it's going to change a lot i think over the next week basketball third place game of the phil knight coming up purdue Looks pretty good. West Virginia doesn't look quite as bad as it did a couple of days ago. We'll take that to the finish line. We'll meet you at the starting line of the college football offseason. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you next time.